Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. All right. Should we should we dive in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome to You Wanted a Hit. We are very excited to have a special guest with us for this episode. We have journalist, editor, and host of the podcast, Songs My Ex Ruined, Courtney E. Smith with uh, us. Thank you for having me. I'm slightly worried about how this is going to go, but I've got a glass <laughs> of wine, so let's do it. Got the liquid courage. We like it. Exactly. Yes, I, I have it as well, because, you know, there's a lot going on in this story. Uh, Courtney, I got to say, I, I just listened to the episode of Songs My Ex Ruined about uh, Beth by Kiss. Oh, with Lola Kirk. Yeah. It was so good. Her story was so good. Like It was great. And it, that is like, the, if you haven't heard that episode or listened to our podcast yet, people come on and tell stories about a song in Ex Ruined. And I got to tell you, her story is prime. Um, prime how rock stars act older rock stars (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was paul stanley right yeah 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 uh highly recommend that episode and that podcast it's excellent but that one in particular (laughs) never meet your idols they say especially when it's kids well never meet the band you hate either honestly (laughs) yeah i guess that would although i definitely met some artists who Maybe I didn't hate their music, but I wasn't much of a fan or didn't think much of it. And then the artist was mm. super cool, and I was like, damn it. That yeah. can also happen. I met a lot of those. Like, Fallout Boy was one of those for me where I'm like, I don't like your music, but you guys, I could hang. We could yeah. hang. You're like, you're kind of cool. You're into good That's stuff. nice to hear. Theo, I know you have a couple of those stories. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like our podcast is is that in a uh, way. You know, that's There's lots that's of songs we cover that we initially hate and we're like man they're good people they're good people yeah you come yeah, around a yeah. little bit we should dive into the song that we're going to be talking about today because it is de- definitely of a time mm. here's the song we'll be discussing tonight fingers crossed that i know it you will so i do every week um. <laughs> oh wow yep you are gonna torture me <laughs> i don't think i remember the whole intro there it is they cut it off for the radio there's a radio edit that doesn't have that yeah that is definitely true well let's go well, I mean, the only way this could be more terrible is if it were sublime. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure it'd be more offended that we picked the wrong song or that you're comparing this song with sublime. <laughs> it's L.A. vibes. Like, That's fair. Okay. bad L.A. vibes. It, de- it definitely is. And uh, yeah, honestly, I picked this one because the story is great. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into it. Um, and I... And I 
uh, was trying to guess, but assumed that you were around our age. So I was like, okay, like she'll definitely know that song. Oh yeah. So, prerequisite. We've we've <laughs> checked off. Have to have been alive in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is "Steal My Sunshine" by Toronto, Ontario, Canada rock band Len. Len, so that's right. That from Canada. Yeah, that just doesn't jive with the aesthetic that the A and R person who probably put laid it on this song. Had. <laughs> uh, it was released in nineteen ninety nine. And you know what? I, I would say the story was good, but the reason I started with it is because when I started researching it a couple of weeks ago, it was really cold outside. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're in the throes of winter. Let's get something that's feeling summery. So uh, that had a little hey, bit to do with it. I'm going to make a big statement here. Please do. 1999, arguably one of the worst years in music. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we will hear more about what was going on in 99 and it, and it's, I feel like it, but it caps perhaps the best decade of music ever. Like perhaps most mm. of the decade is like every genre, some of the best work that's ever been done. And then toward the end, things just start to unravel. <laughs> Other than Lauren Hill, 1999, arguably the worst year. In I'm sure history. we could find some other jams. We from- could find two. Probably. The last year I'm of the sure decade. Too. That's very, the bar is in hell, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark Costanzo was born on August 1st, 1972, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. He and his family, including his older sister, Sharon Costanzo, moved to Toronto in 1989 when he was 17. At age 13, before their move, Mark started getting music gear and trying to record songs. Sharon would come downstairs into the basement and he'd say things like, you want to sing on my track? This could have a girl on it. And it's such a like, thir- wow. that's such a 13 year old thing to say. Extremely. So Mark says they never really set out to write songs together. They would just tinker with sounds and add vocals. And Mark and Sharon started calling themselves Len, named after Mark's high school classmate, Lenny who he described in a 1999 LA Times interview as the funniest dude you've ever met in your whole life. What? The depth, <laughs> the sheer depth of it is stunning. Wow. Like, this is a person I feel bad even dunking on because they've just revealed how incredibly stupid and inconsequential their thought process is. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty surface level. Okay. Uh, I mean, Len wasn't even in the band. No, I know. Just- <laughs> That's what I some kid they thought was funny it's like, yeah it's some guy in our class like i still remember the guy from my junior high named gabe who uh, there was a rumor started that he put his watch on his wing and masturbated in class but some people you don't forget you know wow uh you could have named a band yeah, after him but I mean, yeah. it could still happen but like imagine someone that you're i guess they were friends but even still Especially at thirteen, someone coming to you and be like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm starting a band. I named it Mike after you." You'd be like, "Okay, why? Because you're funny." <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> I don't I'm know how Lenny, I feel about that. I want to know: Do I get guest lists for life? <laughs> you've used my name. I mean, Len. I don't know. Maybe we'll hear about Lenny later here, but I have to imagine that he's still telling everyone at the bar. Oh, the story. yeah we we don't get any more context for Lenny. Actually, I couldn't find anything oh, about we Lenny. Do a deeper dive. <laughs> Wow. Mailbag, if anybody knows Lenny, <laughs> Colorado. 
I'm going to DM some journalists on Twitter and be like, hey, quick follow-up story. Yeah, you, you probably follow some uh, some Toronto journalists you could, you could reach out to. I'll just reach out to the LA Times and be like, hey. <laughs> Let's track down Lenny. It's almost the 30th anniversary. We could get into this. Yeah, that is true. I, that didn't even occur to me until uh, uh, that it's the 25th anniversary until I think today. Um, oh, yeah, we got, we got a whole year. Yeah, we do. Talk, guys. Um, <laughs> well, Mark played guitar and Sharon played bass. However, around 1991, they started inviting musicians over to their house in Toronto to add more instrumentation to the songs. From what I read, their sound was largely based in punk rock, which, of course, like every 90s one hit wonder started as some like feeble punk rock band. I have questions like, does it mention any bands that were their punk rock references? It doesn't really. Uh, I didn't see any of those. And and it's funny you say that because, you know, like we'll listen to early songs of a lot of bands that had hits and it's like, oh, yeah, they were like a three chord punk rock band. And then they figured out how to write songs, et cetera, yeah. um, found their shtick. And then every song sounded like that. But uh, this one, <laughs> like multiple things that were not coming from the band described them as a punk rock band. And when I listened to it, it just kind of sounded like a Pixies ripoff to me. Mm. Here, I'll, uh, I'll I'll drop a song in the chat here. This is this is an early. To be, to be fair, there could be worse. Yeah, I mean, it's fine for sure. It, it's, it's yeah, it's also fine. Kind of a weird thing to sound like. Okay, here is the argument I'm going to make. A lot of people will disagree with this, but <laughs> I am someone who thinks punk is not like a genre that goes on and on it's a movement in a period of time um and it, you can't just be punk rock by not being good at playing music like that's oh not what that i means. definitely agree i definitely agree <laughs> there's a political movement behind it there's an aesthetic yeah. there's fashion that there's like purpose to it and also mm-hmm. being punk was a, a, a choice like yeah. definitely bands evolved out of it and became more popular out of it. And some bands that were punk were actually very good musicians and never jumped out of it because they fit the movement as well as, you know, the sound and mm-hmm. being the pillars of the sound. So I have a real problem with the 90s punk, which wasn't, you know, other than maybe green day who were just <laughs> billy joe was cosplaying as joe strummer for a while in the night yes that's definitely true so I accent don't even know and all yeah maybe not even punk that's like an homage to his favorite <laughs> band um but it the 2000s as well the pop punk thing i'm just like no you're just you need to come up with another name for what you're doing well i almost feel like punk is a is a a whole thing but then like punk rock was a sound mm-hmm. pop punk is a sound it doesn't yeah it has the word punk in it but it wasn't necessarily the movement yeah as much as like punk is. they said this was punk sounding regardless and i you guys should check out this this link i sent in the chat i are, are there any real like punk rock artists from canada canada just doesn't scream punk to me that's a good question i mean nothing comes to mind uh propagandi is from canada i already love the outfits in this video the visor and the frosted tips. Also, I forgot that Lynn Singer had white guy dress. He did, I think, at this point. I don't think he did once they uh, once they became more famous. He's got a certain way about him. <laughs> oh, this is way more early 90s, yeah. Yeah, this is like 
Uh, oh, he's got a ring pop. I don't know. It's like sounds like late '80s alt rock. Yeah, like they're letting the girls sing, and it feels in 1995. It feels very opportunistic. That's when like Alanis's <laughs> album came out. No doubt was out, and yeah, women's voices were very marketable on alternative radio at this time. Yeah. So it sounds kind of like. Her voice almost sounds like Hope Sandoval from Mazzy Star to me. Oh, the yeah. music doesn't match that. That's a, that's a big compliment, I would say. Uh, but yeah, I guess they also kind of had some sort of punk uh, energy or energy they were taking from punk. He said that they were like smashing instruments but mostly because they didn't know how to play and their shows weren't entertaining <laughs> so they that just started like <laughs> energy from punk no causing a ruckus <laughs> no <laughs> uh cosplaying maybe. as you said um it's maybe energy from the sex pistols but like yeah they were yeah, the yeah. least authentic puck bands so. <laughs> they're kind of more pulling from like the who but um so yeah he said they try to play their stuff live people would come and it would just like end in disaster essentially um but they did have some like drum machine beats and weird synthesizer stuff on this first batch of songs that's kind of getting into uh, a little more of what we're familiar with from Len. So check this song out too. Yeah, I'm kind of bobbing on this one. It's not bad. I hear what you're saying with a Pixies comparison. For me, there's like an undercurrent of that sort of. Um, Euro pop thing that was happening in the early 90s, that EMF uh, kind of that's not quite right but or like um, they mention um, Primal Scream, they mention Primal Scream in a couple instances oh, okay, yeah yeah, yeah for sure like stereo MCs, like mm-hmm. stuff like that charlatans even this might just be because I'm a fanboy but there's one quote here from this first video that says I've never seen these clerks deleted scenes before. <laughs> That's really funny. Clerks vibe to it. It does. I mean, and also like the guy's facial hair is very of that era. The goatee, Definitely. no mustache. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Bunch of dirt bags. Yeah. Um. Well, both these songs are from Len's 1994 debut album, Superstar which was produced by Mark and Sharon in their basement and self-released. The first song we listened to, Candy Pop, got a little press and radio play in Canada, and it sounds like they sold between 10 and 15,000 units, which was like a decent amount. What uh, Do you know what label that first album came out on, out of curiosity? I think they just released it themselves. It might have gotten picked up by somebody later. Okay. Um, I I looked for that because I was like, that's pretty decent. Like, all things considered, especially in Canada. Like, there's not a lot of people there. <laughs> well, the thing about Canada is they fund the arts. Yes, um, they so do. We've they talked about that nice on this show before. Nice oh, yeah. To make this album, to tour this album. Yep. And we've, the Canadian we've, press is incentivized to play them because they yep. have to pay, some, what was it at the time, something like 70, 75% of artists on radio had to be yeah. Canadian. Yep. I can't believe I have this much to say about Len. It's <laughs> well, here's my question. Is this Len tattoo on his arm? Is that real? Oh, okay. I don't know. Probably. Because in that case, 
not only did this guy name his band after his friend, <laughs> but now he has his friend. friend's name tattooed <laughs> on his arm. Like, it's getting like a real creepy territory here. <laughs> hey, man, I named my band after you. Hey, I got your name tattooed on me. Lenny's With like, green we haven't talked in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, man, we got to find Lenny. Uh, oh, actually, I have written here. They sent their music to a number of labels and received no interest. So okay there you go Interesting. well i mean um, i've listened to the second song now and i can see why that song is <laughs> yeah well in 97 they released their self-released follow-up album called get your legs broke that is and a terrible uh album title. it's wow. awful <laughs> okay oh it has terrible album art too okay. um yeah yeah picture i'm uh i don't think i have one here but it, it's bad but you can check out the uh the most popular track from that album right here it's called smarty pants oh did you mention that the guy that founded the band's name was mark in air quotes the burger pimp Scanzo. (laughs) we haven't gotten to the burger pimp era yet That. <laughs> yep, he's got a backward oh, Kangol hat. Of course. Yeah, that was cool in 97. It was. He also has a Kangol bucket hat later in the video. And that's cool now, so that's weird. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I looked I looked it up and their their first two records were picked up distribution in the u.s by Koch records whoa really i never we found used to that call it crotch records <laughs> probably get the real journalist there <laughs> yeah what else yeah. were they putting out at the time um I, it's just oh what else was Koch putting out in the 90s that's a great yeah. question and um, they really moved into rap in the 2000s hold on what else was Koch oh, okay. in the 90s huh. i think i read that they never got any label interest he probably meant in canada and i just took his word for it and just kept going so Koch was essentially just a distribution channel like they would pick up things Mm. from other territories and um got it release them in the u.s or take u.s things that didn't get a good release and drop them to other uh territories Mm. well during all this time making their own music mark was also recording local bands for free in his studio in his basement and as you do he was at the time listening to a lot of 80s hip hop. And he says, I grew up half punk rock, half hip hop. I started buying samplers, NPCs, and I started fucking around making beats. Okay. <laughs> I mean, a huge red flag to me is any white guy, especially from the suburbs, who's really into NWA. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it seems like he was more into like, um, like Run DMC and uh, Fat Boys and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so like the jokey hip hop that I was listening to at YMCA Day Camp in the eighties. Yeah, it seems like more <laughs> like that. We'll get into that a little bit more. It'll all make sense. Um, okay. So through his production for look work for local bands, Mark started hanging around with a DJ who called himself DJ Moves, and previously belonged to the Nova Scotia rap group Hip Club Groove. Nova Scotia rap group. Yep. Those are a collection Please tell of me words. you have a link for one of oh, those I songs. Do. Uh, oh, God. We're going to hear in a second. 
So they released a couple records on the MCA imprint, which was created by popular in popular in Canada rock band Sloan. Do you all know the band Sloan? Oh yeah, so, I know Sloan. So Sloan had an imprint on MCA called Murder Music, <laughs> and they put huh. this Nova Scotia hip hop group on on their label. And so, uh, for those not familiar with Sloan, this is Sloan's most popular song. It's called Money City Maniacs. It's a jam. Sure. Uh, So, I was friends with a lot of Canadians for some reason when I moved to New York in the 2000s, the early 2000s. There were just, I don't know, a ton of them working in the music industry. And I went to way more Sloan shows than were necessary. Awesome. Random Canadians. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are big in Canada. And supposedly in this video, you'll see he's wearing a, the singer's wearing like a vertically white and black striped shirt. And the story goes that he was working at Foot Locker at the time. And he didn't have, is that true? He didn't have time to pick something else to wear. They just shot the video because he was late. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So good. That's just the first thing I thought about. I was like, what, does the guy work at Foot Locker? Uh, the answer is yes. Yeah. It's kind of a cool video, though. Yeah. Uh, so Hip Club Groove was comprised of DJ Moves, Derek MC McKenzie, and Corey Checklove Shaquille Bowles. Here's a little taste of Hip Club Groove. And the guy at the beginning looks so much like the dude from Midnight Oil. Oh my god, he does. Right down to the kind of bugged out eyes. Yeah, and the hat. I see more white guy dress. There is there there is a uh, person of color in the band. I'll at least give them that. This is um, the Beastie Boys sabotage. Yeah, it's it's like a ripoff. Yeah, not not as uh, graceful as the Beastie Boys. Well, it lacks irony, which was the thing that made that. Yeah, happen. that's the whole thing about the Beastie yeah. Boys. Yeah, we're just fucking around. Yeah. Uh, so that's Hip Club Groove. Uh, eventually, they started collaborating with Mark on music together. And Mark was getting away from straight-ahead rock and experimenting, experimenting more with hip-hop, resulting in what he described as some white boys from Canada hip-hop. Oh, so he's God. he's aware. I didn't know that you hated me this much. <laughs> I, just, I thought we were kind of strangers, but this feels pointed and judgmental. Uh, not at all. Uh, it was around this time, though, that Mark started going by the stage name Burger Pimp. And I do not know the etymology of Burger Pimp. And we probably. I really want won't to. There's got to be a story there, you know? Like, it's got to be. That's they're probably drunk at a diner and he is on his second burger. <laughs> and they're like, hey. Tim Hortons. Theo, are you trying to find it? They were like, oh. Hell yeah, I'm trying to find it. <laughs> it's got to be. I just had there. so much to cover that I didn't even look more into the actual name burger pimp wow there's so much more to cover that you couldn't even be bothered to look into burger yes pimp? that is correct oh god now that I'm is terrified. correct oh, i would Jesus say that Christ, mostly I'm things get better way more wine than this like way <laughs> more yeah we're, we're sending you a, a second bottle of wine on drizzly right now <laughs> <laughs> so uh, of this transitional time in the band sound sharon said in the 90s, we went through a lot of angsty music, very dark, introspective whining. 
It had its merits, but I think people are ready to party. Well, okay, she's not wrong. I mean, she's reading the room correctly. Like, by 99, that's Britney Spears' debut album. The Spice Girls have been out. Yep. Eminem's My Name Is has been a big hit. So they're on trend with that. And yeah. Bad Boy Records. This is a big part to me, though, of why I say 99 was a terrible year in music. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, we had been in this very political grunge period and suddenly the mm-hmm. the whole dynamic swung back to pop being the dominant form of music mm-hmm. but it was terrible and infantile pop like yeah and the hip it happened to hip hop too like we went from conscious hip hop and gangster rap to you know bad boy records oh, and glitz yeah. and glam and, and not even and sampling that. just like Disco laying samples. a whole exact to the stems of a song yeah. down and yeah. wrapping over yeah. it yeah God, i love this time period so keep going kids really do you really <laughs> i like some of it i, I like some more of it. about that before i let you go back to torturing me with lynn why did you love this time what were the things that were hitting with you there well i was what like 13 14 years old this time like yeah this was yeah. you know it was cool for a 13 14 year old and like, I look back at it somewhat nostalgically, like, yeah, there's a lot of shit out there, but that's every decade, in my opinion, every year. I don't know. I think so, it was a fun time for, I don't know, a bit of a transition to music. It was, it's just as weird. Anything went, people were just throwing shit at the wall. Uh, the TRL the days labels had like a lot every of song could be so different and oddly work together. I don't know. It's kind yeah. of, it's, did it's they? I don't know that they did. I remember the days of like suddenly corn were on TRL and I was going, what the fuck is happening? All right. I'll go to bat for corn. Corn yeah. rocks. No, it's not <laughs> that they're good or bad, although they're bad and you're wrong. Um, it's that they were on TRL all of a sudden and Limp Biscuit, and you're just like, wait a minute. This is, I don't understand. It was all over the place. They're yeah. just trying shit. Yeah. So, I'm a little older than you. 99 was, I've, I was a junior in college and I remember this particular year interning at MTV and Britney Spears happening and like grown men hanging posters of her in their cubicles. (laughs) And I was just looking at her and I was like, Oh God, this is going to be the beauty standard that we all have to acknowledge now. And it's completely unachievable. And we're just going to have to like live through this for a while. And it was very bleak. Like, I think I think if I were in college, I would have felt much differently about yeah. a lot of this stuff. Yeah. yeah, I think that would definitely be... I'd be like, come on, listen to the college radio station. This is where the cool shit's going on. Well, like, I was also... I was in college around Dallas, and I interned at the like modern rock radio station on the indie rock nighttime show. So, nice. I, but I was hearing even the stuff they were playing as rock music transitioned to like Lit and Blink One Eighty Two and whatever. <laughs> yeah. It was just yeah. like it got so bad so quickly, so cheesy so quickly. Yeah, you wanted to be playing the early Len records. I get it. <laughs> I totally, totally understand. I mean, to be fair, early Len is better than well from the one song I heard. Yeah, true. New Len. <laughs> in 1997, Mark was at an electronic music festival north of Toronto in a in a field. Of course, he was. He said it was like a rave <laughs> with his dreads. Right? <laughs> he said it was like a rave, and some accounts of this mention ecstasy being taken. At 3 a.m., people were still up dancing, so I would say ecstasy was definitely being taken. <laughs> uh, Mark started writing lyrics that described how he felt. He wrote some of it on his leg and then most of it on a napkin. After the festival, he was hanging out at a friend's place. 
This friend was Brendan Canning, oh. a singer, songwriter, and bassist, guitarist, keyboardist from Broken Social Ajax, scene. Ontario. So you're familiar with Brendan. Yeah. Brendan at the time had been playing in a number of bands around Toronto, such as H-Head and By Divine Right, which I was not familiar I know, with. By but Divine Right, yeah. They're probably good. <laughs> uh, from what I could tell, he Brendan was DJing the gathering at his own house. And he played this song during his little DJ set. I couldn't for the life of me tell you who this was if you had asked me who sang the song. I know the song. You know the song? Yeah, but I I was just going to ask, is this the original? Because, but I definitely know this song. There's definitely a cover of it, right? No, this is the original version. song. Yeah, like there's a disco version of it by somebody more famous, I feel like. I think this is the disco version. This is hmm. quite an outfit, too. Like the fringe, yes. the maybe leather, maybe suede. But do you notice any uh, similarities between this and Steal My Sunshine? Did they sample this? Yeah, that but like whole background, like the funky guitar and the piano, and then the little uh, the wood block, the, the little sonar sound. Yeah, yeah, the wood, the wood block. <laughs> Get it. Seriously, so Brendan Kenny from the social, Broken Social Scene is why that shitty song exists. Uh, <laughs> yes, seems like it. Canada, <laughs> <laughs> well, gonna Canada, I guess. But like, wow. So this is More, More, More by Andrea True Connection. Uh, It's a 1976 disco song. Brendan played this at his house party. Um, Andrea True Connection is a studio band formed by American adult film performer and director Andrea True. And American songwriter Greg Diamond. And the story is incredible. So I'm just going to give a little brief brief overview here of this song andrea was in jamaica to film a tv commercial and she couldn't get back into the states because um jamaica had just elected michael manley as prime minister who was a supporter of fidel castro so the u.s said she couldn't take any of her earnings from the commercial to the u.s she'd have to forfeit it all so she said fuck it i'm in jamaica I'm just going to use all the money to rent a recording studio. Andrea knew Greg Diamond, who had written songs for Luther Vandross, Shaka Khan, and George McRae. And she asked Greg to come to Jamaica and work on some tunes because she's got this free studio in Jamaica that she paid for, but money that she couldn't take home. Um, They collaborated on numerous compositions with local Jamaican musicians that eventually gave way to this song, More, More, More. After they finished the song, Greg and Andrea had blown all the money. <laughs> so they gave the master to a Jamaican label that released the album to discos on the island and it blew up in Jamaica. Hmm. And then Buddha Records, which was an MGM subsidiary in America, caught wind of the song after it got big in Jamaica, remastered it, and released it in discos in the US. And then it reached radio from the discos and hit number four on the Billboard Hot 100. Wow. Yeah. So she invested correctly. Like yeah, a, she a did. wild investment she did. there. To, she kind of, uh, like, uh, 
you know, laundered the money back. In yeah, the she kind of wow. did. Yeah, <laughs> she ended her. up making the money. Uh, Very impressive. She after that, she toured like crazy, released several more songs that hit the pop charts, and she never returned to adult films wow. again. She was like, I'm enjoying making music. This is this is awesome. Um, She performed through the 90s. She appeared often on VH1 and other music channels around the world. And then in the late 90s and early 2000s, worked as a substance abuse counselor and an astrologist. Because it's like peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) Girls live so many lives. But an amazing story. Wild. So incredible. Um, She passed away in 2011 of natural causes. And then Greg, the songwriter that was part of this band, uh, he died in 99, the year that Steal My Sunshine came out. Did, did he die yeah. before it came out or after? I believe just before. I think he died in March. He never uh, got to hear the greatness. He never got to, I don't think he got to hear it or he might have cleared it. I don't know. He might have heard it to clear greatness, it. Greatness, the word you meant to use. <laughs> Canadian greatness. <laughs> Uh, he received a posthumous songwriting credit, though Andrea asserts that she wrote the lyrics to the song, but somehow Greg was the only credited songwriter for a long time, which is bullshit, Mm. of course, but she did eventually get the royalties sorted out in the later years of her life. That's a story of more, more, more. Well, I mean, (laughs) good. Um, It sounds like she used the money from this song for good things things that created positive, uh, interactions with the world. Yeah. That's yeah, good. totally. So according to a 2014 Guardian article by Harriet Gibson, Mark instantly wanted to sample this song upon hearing it at Brendan's house. So he went home and he started making a beat around the sample using 70s 8-track equipment. He recorded this little this little beat and then he started recording the lyrics that he'd written on his leg and the napkin. <laughs> Apparently it was 3 a.m. and of course they were in his basement. And Mark says that there were people hanging out at the house as usual. And when he was recording these vocals, one of the people hanging out was Derek Wibley, who would go on to find fame as frontman of Sum 41. Sum 41. And as Avril Lavigne's sometime paramour. Wow. In 99, Brendan Canning, the guy who was DJing his own house party, inspired the instrumentals for the song. And his friend Kevin Drew founded legendary indie rock band and music collective Broken Social Scene, which I know we're all familiar with. But those that aren't, they're a huge part of 90s and 2000s indie rock boom, spinning off bands such as Feist, Metric, Stars, Do Make Say Think, a million more. Well, very important stuff. They're also very timely. Um, the uh, One of the reasons that Pitchfork took off as a website, mm-hmm. Pitchfork was the, a site that Ryan Schreiber pulled their album out of a stack of random shit, gave yep. it a huge glowing review. And between that happening in 2003 and Arcade Fire's debut in 2004, Pitchfork became a taste maker when it had been, yep. kind of, you know, whatever before that. Yes, the the website that broke now the social scene. it's under GQ. I don't know what's yeah. happening there. Yeah. So bad. Whatever's gonna gonna happen now. Some sources claim that Brendan actually played in Len for a time. But I couldn't find any real evidence of that. Oh, However, I know exactly who to email and confirm that. I will find out. <laughs> well, I can't. I can tell Let's you go. that. Yeah, ask him if he knows Lenny. <laughs> Lenny was there at 3 a.m. with him and Derek Wig- Wibley. <laughs> I seriously will find out because now I am invested. <laughs> well, 
I can tell you that Brendan is one of the voices that are doing the dialogue at the beginning of the song, and then the uh, that's before each verse. There's the, there's the little dialogue, and he's one of the voices. Yeah, well, I'm also going to add to the questions. How does he feel about that now? <laughs> I wonder if he got paid. You get, you get royalty for that? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Well, uh, some of the other guys uh, hang around when this was recorded were the hip club groove fellas. And they had quite a bit of influence on the production of the song as well. So we've got we've got a real crew hanging out in this in this basement. A lot of Canadians. There's a 2016 Stereo Gum article by Peter Hellman that is uh, about the song. It's pretty excellent. It has an interview with Mark too. And this says that after the early morning session, Mark put it to tape, unmixed, and put it under his bed where he kept most of his recordings, and it collected dust for months. And then the 1999 interview in LA Times, it says, This song is the sort of instantly infectious tune that many bands would recognize and treasure the very moment it was cut to tape. Not Len, because it just went under the bed. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's a great line, honestly. Kudos to Um, the writer. So here's where things get kind of fuzzy, and maybe it was the ecstasy, or the come down from the ecstasy. But... I scoured the internet trying to figure out how this happened. Somehow, this song was picked up for the soundtrack for the 1999 crime caper, Go. Have either of you seen this movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw that movie in theaters. Like, Excellent. I was obsessed with that movie. It's a good a movie. While. Timothy Oliphant, the yeah. crush on him, began with that movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. I watched it on Sunday. <laughs> it is probably Katie Holmes' best acting. Oh, it has to be. I had that same thought while I was watching it. Well, I watched it for the first time, actually, which is weird, because I remember the soundtrack coming out, and then I'd always see the VHS at Blockbuster, which had Sarah Polly like, holding the thing that says go, and I was always intrigued. Sarah Polly, by the way, fellow Canadian. Yes. Yeah, she is Canadian. Uh, Yeah, I recognize the cover. It it looks like the cover of something else, too. A lot of 90s movies. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. but it makes sense. Oh, the director of Swingers, huh? Oh yeah, he did. He did direct Swingers, and then right after this movie, he directed Born Identity. So he had quite the trajectory. Yeah. But this all makes sense because the entire plot of the movie is centered around ecstasy. Like the whole yeah. movie is about ecstasy. Yes, the consumption of and avoidance of. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, and the accidental sale of. Um, right. So it did okay at the box office. It got good reviews, and now it's become a cult classic. Uh, people yeah, wrote it off. I was going to say it was more underground. Like it wasn't super successful when it came out at all. It was very like alterna movie. Which, yeah, there was big indie film scene in the late nineties and early two thousands, and this was very much in that. Yeah, vein. I think they made their money back, but a lot of people wrote it off as a Pulp Fiction like ripoff, which is I don't think is actually true. It's not. This song plays during a scene where Tay Diggs. And another character steal a Ferrari at a valet station in Vegas and take it for a joyride, which I very much felt like was an homage to Ferris Bueller's Day Off because it was very <laughs> similar to that scene. It's funny because while you're describing it, I'm thinking people are going to hear this who haven't seen the movie and feel like it's a Fast and the Furious, but it's not. It's definitely like, that not. That scene no. is very yeah, not the norm. Uh, not it's the very ungraceful <laughs> and chaotic. Yeah. But anyway, Theo, you should watch it. It's good. Then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, come to the 90s with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The soundtrack inclusion appears to have happened before the band got signed. What I don't understand is how they got this song on the soundtrack if it was collecting dust unwound under Mark's bed. 
What label was the soundtrack on? The soundtrack came out on, uh, it was, oh, it was via Workgroup, the EMI subsidiary. Huh. Okay. I mean, that's how, like, they, they had it, it was already produced. This was the setup for the album for, for the label. This is, the 90s was a great soundtrack era. I mean, Clueless started it and it kind of kept totally. going. Yeah, and yeah, there yeah. were a lot of soundtracks and they were making really good money because CDs were selling. Oh, yeah. And people preferred to get the mixtape type soundtrack because you got a lot of bang for your buck when CDs were 20 to $25. Um, so I promise you this was the whole single setup and the way they were introducing this band. The only thing that makes me think that that might not have been the case is because after so this was the first single for the movie soundtrack and after that there was a bidding war for Len and they fielded they fielded uh, offers from labels and then ended up going with them because they gave them the best deal and the most creative control so I mean maybe it was like a hey we'll we'll put this out and maybe we'll sign you guys but I uh I tried to do as much sleuthing as I could, and that's why I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I think it's still a setup. Like, I think this is a part of, like, the way you get this band that you want yeah. to sign to your label. You don't just, like, take a chance like that and make it the first single on your soundtrack for somebody who... Yeah, I mean, I don't random. know. Or it's some weirdo A&R guy or gal that found found this weird band with a song under their bed, which is a much better story. Yeah, but, uh, I like that story. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Half yeah. this, half this <laughs> soundtrack are names that I recognize, and half them, yeah, you know, maybe less than half I don't recognize. But yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, I don't you got, know. You got Eagle Eye Cherry on here. Eagle Eye Cherry, Fatboy Slim, Natalie Imbruglia. Uh, oh yeah, and then I would say an underrated No Doubt song that that I knew is knew is a pretty Wait, good what's song. The no Doubt song. Yeah. yeah, it's like the main. Wow. They play it like three times in the movie. Um, I gotta say it rips I was watching the movie I was like this is a great song um, I think it ended up on Return of Saturn because it was the first song yeah. that came out after Tragic Kingdom well, the No Doubt no. song so, did get released as a single and it did pretty well so I can tell you that they would have tested the shit oh, out oh for of sure it. they had money to do that then <laughs> yeah like this would have gotten radio call out testing yeah like wild they might have had so. focus groups <laughs> well, no, that's not how they did it, but that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, y'all, which one should be the first single? Eagle Eye Cherry, Len or No Doubt? I mean Eagle Eye Cherry had, had a big hit already at yeah. that point. I think his song was ninety seven, yeah. so that's like Oh yeah. It's a pretty big deal to pick a totally unknown artist. Yeah. It was uh yeah. It's all weird. I wish I knew the order of the details, but Courtney, you're likely right that it was like a carrot in front of them. To try to, to seal the deal. Yeah, to try to seal the deal to get Len, who everyone wanted to sign. Uh, I do want to say that the uh, the all music review of this soundtrack reads A bunch of hip 90s artists doing a bunch of hip 90s things techno funk, alt rock, top 40 pop, pseudo ska, with little else in common other than being hip and having record contracts in the 90s. At times, uninspired or just plain awful, there's not a whole lot here worth remembering. The sole reason for hearing the soundtrack is no doubts new. <laughs> well. <laughs> Hashtag 99. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's 99. <laughs> Still um, here for it. 
So anyway, Mark supposedly dug up the tape from under his bed, mixed it, and sent it in to be mastered for the soundtrack. Um, and I'm not... I'm not buying yeah. it. I just don't. That's just not how things work. Yeah. Like, I just don't. I don't know. 90s were wild. I mean, wild maybe they were playing it live they and someone heard they it. They really weren't. I don't think they were touring. That's why none of this makes sense. Late 90s were not that wild. Like, things were very tight the record industry was making the most money that it would ever make yeah like it's selling there's no way 20 dollars cds at sam goody uh <laughs> tower records yeah. baby i was a wall guy <laughs> nice <laughs> and we that? got the lifetime guarantee on the back uh, yeah yeah exactly nice. you can have sunshine every day with some dark matter coffee in your cup shall i say it could be the best part of waking up don't tell our attorneys i said that Dark Matter Coffee is roasting absolutely incredible coffee beans ethically sourced directly from farmers and shipping them right to your door. You could try it on us. Head to darkmattercoffee.com and use code WANTEDAHITCAST, that's one word, WANTEDAHITCAST, at checkout for free shipping of Dark Matter Coffee Beans so you can brew at home and keep the sun shining. I don't know when Sharon's vocals were added, if she was there in the basement, 3M or what, but they're kind of a crucial part of the song. Um, and there is a uh, terrific piece about this song in the now revived Cream magazine, and the article's by Emma Garland, and oh. it's titled "Thugged, All Laced, and Bugged," which are lyrics from the first verse. And the subtitle is "Cream Considers the 1999 One Hit Wonder Steal My Sunshine" by Canadian alt rock bros Len because death is inevitable. <laughs> wow, that is an amazing opener. And this piece is beautiful. Everyone should read it. It's beautiful. Emma writes that while the song is built around the Andrea True Connection sample, the structure was inspired by the Human League's 1981 smash hit, Don't You Want Me, which kind of makes sense with the male-female like exchanges. I, I, I think that she discovered that it was, there was some connection there. But I also really like that she says... Uh-huh. Spiritually, it's the party before the come down of Brand Van 3000's Drinking in LA. Do you guys know that song? Oh my god. Yes. You all know that song? I have literally not thought of that song in. I don't know the song, but I already love the. Another Canadian one hit wonder that mapped rave culture onto a romanticized ideal of coastal America. As a result. The thing I remember about Brand Van is that there was a whole thing going on in the. Uh, late 90s and early 2000s where for Aniston and Brad Pitt were supposed to be like his biggest fans. What? They were wearing like <laughs> brand van shirts and Von Dutch hats. They talked about him in interviews and stuff. What? I don't know. Like... Amazing. Well, I think they're spiritual cousins. I even thought about this guy in so long. I do. Oh, Theo's jamming to Brand Van 3000 right now. Yeah, that shit rocks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, so, some guy named Louie introduced another guy named Dario to this song, and Louie died a couple of days ago, oh three years God. ago. <laughs> so this is for Louie. Is that in the YouTube comments? Yeah, dog, definitely. <laughs> I love it. Love it. It would be for this song. Oh, a Bowie record on the DJ turntable night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are, are we going to cover this song someday? I mean... I... I... I totally forgot that. That's this. a good question. I, I mean, we know it. We know it. I think that's reason enough. 
Yeah, two out of three of us knew it, so count it. I mean, yeah, we use hit <laughs> pretty loosely, so. Yeah. Um, song people know. That's prerequisite for the for the show. Someone's heard the song before. Someone's heard the song before. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. Je- if I Jennifer mean, Aniston and Brad Pitt no were into it, it was a hit. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of romanticizing, let's talk about these lyrics for a moment. Uh, they mostly don't make any sense. I'm not surprised that they came from an ecstasy high at a music festival and were written on a leg. <laughs> and it seems like yeah. most people on the internet agree that other than just being like good time energy, the song is about how things and people in life can kill your buzz, bring on sadness, and steal your sunshine. It really sums up 1999. It does. It totally does. Very much the vibe of that year. <laughs> No depth, just five. Yep. Everyone hating on 99. Hey, there are definitely things I like about 99. And I, I would say including this song, but I see really? all of Courtney's points. I was going to say name one. <laughs> I see all of Courtney's points for sure. So yeah, you can hear the classic 90s party banter before each verse that we talked about. And these two characters are named Tim and Chad, of course. Um, oh, God. And they're speculating why their friends Mark and Sharon are so down and look like shit. And remember, one of these guys is Brendan Canning from Broken Social Scene. Um, <laughs> Courtney, your laughter over that is killing me. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. It's so absurd. And then each vocalist, Mark and Sharon, go on to explain what happened to their buzz. I read the lyrics several times, and I still can't figure out how they went from enjoying the sunshine on the beach or on a bench or whatever to missing a mile, million miles of fun. Because it's all like lingo and inside jokes, I think. Yeah. Um, but I read, and take it with a grain of salt, I read on Reddit that sunshine refers to ecstasy itself. And there was a popular ecstasy pill at the time called sunshine that had a sun on it. So that checks out. Yeah. Additionally, in the, in the first dialogue part with Tim and Chad, they mentioned that they should give Mark butter tarts Does he like butter tarts? as a way to cheer him up. And this person also says that butter tarts were another popular XC pill that had the woman from the Land Lakes butter packaging stamped on one side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is all very 90s coded. It totally yeah. is. Also, this sort of like stream of consciousness is giving, I just heard about Howl and I decided <laughs> that I am Allen Ginsberg mm, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I watched Train Spotting on repeat. Yeah. 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 Somebody gave me a Bukowski book, yeah. and I was like, "This guy seems cool." Yeah. So we may never actually find out how it ended up on that soundtrack, but Courtney's likely right. Uh, oh, but I'm gonna find out. Actually, I'm gonna track this information down too. I definitely know some people who were. Please do. We have a laundry list of things we need to figure out. Well, we've never had a, a mailbag entry <laughs> from a guest, so I this will be a first time. It'll be great. There's just so many hidden secrets of they're Len. Really, no, they're just two mysteries to unravel so far, but let's see where you take us, Michael. Well, we might have some more. Um, so the soundtrack, as I mentioned, was released by Work Group, which is an EMI subsidiary. Work loved the Len song, obviously, and they sent it to K-Rock in L.A. At that time, and that's, I guess, maybe that doesn't mean it was the official first single, but it was the first one that they started, like you know testing the waters with as you mentioned 
So mm-hmm. K-Rock at the time was probably the most influential rock radio station in the world. And K-Rock was the most influential rock station in the world from 1982 to 2000, yeah. roughly? Yeah, they played the song. And the DJ on the air said, this is going to be the song of the summer. <laughs> wow. Do you know who that DJ would have been at the time? I don't know who it Damn. was. Uh, but apparently, sometime later, Mark and Sharon were in LA. And they said that they would hear it played on K-Rock from cars next to them. And they were like, oh, wow, this is this is really wild. Yeah. And I was I was picturing like a really, like a much shittier version of the scene from that thing you do (laughs) (laughs) so here's the thing about k-rock for people listening at home to consider it i mean if you don't know what that is it's la's rock station it still exists um but the people that listen to k-rock especially then were not just like people they're the people that put songs in movies and tv shows and direct all those things or write those things and like they're going on to something would have dictated the entire market nationwide because la being such a big car city is the number one radio market in the country so Mm -hmm. all you need is an ad to k-rock and every other station in the country was going to fall in line also to consider is that radio consolidation was heavily underway in the 90s from like 96 forward after um a piece of clinton era legislation and i said that oh we, we are familiar with that and it is the worst yeah, the worst so i mean yep. k-rock was not a clear channel station but if they added it then every um clear channel now known as iheart yep. media station in the country was going to follow suit yep and then Lynn and then it took over the airwaves. Ruining my life. Actually, I, I have written in here where one of the places I read that there was a major label bidding war after the K-Rock spin mm. was in a 2012 article in the Toronto Star. So, I don't know. But they also mean. talked to Mark in the article. So, I don't know if they got it from Mark or got it from elsewhere. Yeah, but... <laughs> this is the thing I'm realizing from like all the sources you're stating. The things that don't make sense to me are things Mark says, you know, like I think <laughs> we've had that before. There was one in particular, Theo, where I don't remember what episode you were like, take it with a grain of salt. Because every time I read something from this artist, it's like uh... a lot of them, I feel like <laughs> there's Taco. I mean, there's a, a thing where you build your own mythology. But like, I think yeah. this guy might have just been out of his mind and not really clear on what happened. he may have been. And and there is more on that. <laughs> so as far as I understand it, work group who released the Go soundtrack, ultimately signed Len and then rushed them to make an album, which is called Can't Stop the Bum Rush, to get the song out with another product and capitalize and sell more stuff. They are far from the first band that happened to. Oh, for sure, yeah. In the 80s, 70s. Oh, yeah. Supposedly, a big reason they went with Work Group instead of other labels is because they said they wanted to make their own music videos, and the label gave them $200,000, no questions asked, to make a music video for this song. Stunningly, that was a very low budget for a music video in 1999. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to these basement Toronto kids, they were like, hell yeah. But I mean, let's, like, let's everything yeah, you would How can seen... you afford a yacht, a helicopter, four right. Bentleys, and yeah. pyrotechnics <laughs> on a $200,000 budget? Mariah Come Carey on, didn't show up to a video set if there was less than, like, $5 million behind it. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Same. Hype Williams had to be there just throwing cash. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to the video in, in, in a moment. But 
Mark says the first week they signed the label, he called them telling them that he was in jail and they needed to bail him out, which was just a joke to see how they would react. Nice. I mean, I approve. <laughs> if you're going to fuck with oh, anybody, I like it. Yeah. fuck with a major label. Yeah. That's great. Uh, they still gave him the music video money after that. Wow. <laughs> because the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and Britney Spears were making them millions on millions on yeah. millions. They could give 200000 to these random Canadians. Oh, yeah. Wait, have you seen this video before, Theo? I'm sure I have. I don't remember it at all. Oh, you definitely okay. will recognize it. I do not remember yeah. it. I mean, it becomes difficult when I see the video for me to distinguish this band from Everclear. Oh, oh yeah, I could definitely see that. <laughs> the excitement's dissipated a little bit. <laughs> That's the appropriate <laughs> response, yes. Uh, so Mark and Sharon put the album together with their friends from Hip Club Groove, the hip-hop group, except Corey Checklove Shaquille Bowles was leaving the band so he could focus more on his other project, the Trailer Park Boys. Wow. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> I assume y'all are familiar with the Trailer Park Boys. Uh, yes. For those unaware, the Trailer Park Boys are a Canadian comedy troupe that made a DIY mockumentary movie about a Nova Scotia trailer park and the misadventures of its residents. The movie led to a TV series lasted eight seasons with eight three seasons. more films. There are still animated films, Christmas specials, comic books, and more that have come out in the last few years. They tour. I had no idea. This was still one of the guys. Strong. One of the guys that was pretty much in Len is in the Trailer Park Boys. Wow! <laughs> wow! Yeah, I mean, yeah. good for them, honestly. Yeah, and as someone who's named Mike Smith, people often are like Mike Smith from the Trailer Park Boys because one of the guys is named Mike Smith. Sure. Oh. You know. But DJ Moves and Derek MC McKenzie, don't worry, they stayed in Lynn. They probably and would have been more Derek, profitable great. if they had <laughs> yeah. gone with the other bro. <laughs> gone with yeah, their friends. they fucked up. And, and Derek was now going <laughs> by D-Rock, so thank God. Oh, God, really? Um, that is... Their involvement is what Mark says made the album what it was, and Mark says most of the album was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, before you got to that comment, I was going to say, is that an insult? And yes, it is. He cool. said... A lot of it was terrible, and he says uh, he doesn't look back too fondly on the white guys from Canada hip-hop stuff. <laughs> and then in the same interview, he goes off like bashing turntables and rock music and talking about bands using hip-hop influence was a mistake. It's just like a whole thing. Like some so revisionist history. So ripping on Limp Bizkit, essentially? Or... Yeah, I, 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 yeah, he, I guess, wasn't into all that, but Meanwhile. he kind of... If only he, like, just a few years later, Linkin Park and Jay-Z would collaborate. Yeah, then it became, yeah. Well, we had Ice Cube and Korn and all that. So, also, because they're on a big major label now, they called in some favors. And going back to his taste in hip-hop, they had some bona fide hip-hop royalty rap on the album, including Curtis Blow and Biz Marquis. Well, Biz Marquis is who they wanted to get on the album. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, the song Beautiful Day on the album features features the Biz and apparently Biz said to them don't worry about what you put on the record don't worry about what people say and Mark says that was real good advice oh my god 
but I, I read the uh, I read the Beastie Boys book recently and they talk about when Biz was in that studio he was just constantly eating candy like bags and bags and bags of candy and he didn't he didn't like drink or do drugs or anything it was just candy and I know and he he would be recording and like hanging out with them like making music and he's like hey is anyone going on a candy run soon or like what's, what's going on <laughs> So I'm picturing him in a studio with Len in the basement just eating candy. It's like a handful of butterscotches. Why not? Yeah. Uh, let's watch the music video, but I'm just going to grab a beer from two feet away right here before we do, if that's cool with I mean, y'all. Yeah, alcohol is necessary. It's true. <laughs> I'm going to crack this delicious Sierra Nevada hazy IPA. So, of course, it's 1999. So this music video was played all over MTV all summer. Um, was so let's it? watch it together. Theo and I don't remember that. Sorry. You don't remember it being on? On MTV a lot? No. Let me let me watch it. Mm. Maybe it'll come back to me. But I don't I don't okay. not remember this. I mean, mm. I remember the video. I just don't I'm, remember it. It's being like very it was very vividly in my mind. I will also ask people, was this in heavy rotation? <laughs> what rotation was Lynn in? I know people that were there in the Cinnabon. Uh I think at the least was on TRL. It's just one of those like classic like film us touring video. No. Been here done that. There's some of that in there, but then uh, we get into some other stuff. And I'll tell you why. Uh, and yes, it's true that this video uses the uh, the shorter edit of the song that doesn't have as much talking in it. Uh, which I think loses context of the song because those guys are like, hey, what's wrong with our friends? And then they explain it. It's kind of <laughs> crucial. And and they cut out a member of Broken Social Scene. True. <laughs> but this video is directed by Bradley Walsh. Oh, a and, Vice sticker right off the bat. Oh, so yeah. That's, that's so dead on. <laughs> yeah. So, as I mentioned, the band was given $200,000 to spend on oh, the rented a bunch of fucking scooters? Yes. Oh, yes. Money. So... That was how they used a lot of money. So they flew all their friends to Daytona Beach for a week. And they spent <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars on Vespas and alcohol. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right, fuck yeah. And, and they picked Daytona because there were a number of 80s movies that took place there. And Mark said they want to do that, quote, 80s movie shit. Oh, this is not wow. very 80s movies. This is... Really thought, really well thought out concept. Yeah. The yeah. shoot days started at 1 p.m. because Len and their friends were too drunk after five and too hungover before one. <laughs> yeah, same. <honestly>. Yeah. <laughs> and there was no shot list or script whatsoever. And they even tried to shoot at a Chuck E. Cheese, but for some reason that didn't work <laughs> out. I can only imagine why. Because so, they would have charged them a location fee. <laughs> well, so there is like arcade stuff, but they think they just did it on the boardwalk. Sharon's look is like very on point. Uh, oh yeah, like Melissa Jones could awesome. have been wearing this outfit. <laughs> yeah, she she looks awesome. I also love that it. it's like this like L.A. vibe, but it's it like was the Santa in, Monica boardwalk, but, but it's in not. Daytona. <laughs> It's like just just almost there, which is amazing. But that's why they drive go-karts in the video, because they move the Chuck E. Cheese parts to the go-karts place. Where they, so, they watching that. this, the thing that stands out to me, it mean it looks just like MTV's Spring Break, which is does. In, totally in does. Beach. Yeah. Uh, but also, the fact that Sharon is like the only woman who has a 
active role in this, and there are tons of other women around, but they're yep. just kind of like in bathing suits in there. Is also so 90s music video. Yes, 100%. And it's so um, not cool. So, yeah, it's, uh, it is not good. It's like Sharon's just hanging out with all these, like, like 40, like, weirdly dressed guys yeah and it's almost like it was so uncomfortable that they had to bring other women into the frame because otherwise like you're concerned about this one girl right <laughs> i mean they had to call for backup mark uh, looks like a fucking so loser wearing a wife beater who somehow convinced a label oh, it's bad. to give him two hundred thousand dollars to go party with his friends for a week yeah, it's his insane. face is just like washed yeah. over. Doesn't give a fuck. No, this red. is the only he time in his so entire life he'll ever be able to do something of this nature. So, and rather than <laughs> embrace the opportunity and do something good with the money, he just pissed it away. Yeah, <laughs> Canadian dirtbag. I mean, yes, absolutely. They filmed enough to make an entire feature film. Sorry, what? Yep, and in fact, there are five episodes of this behind the scenes footage on no, youtube you. i'm not clicking on that absolutely not yeah it's it's fine you don't need Wait, to who directed this um i couldn't find anything else about him it's uh bradley walsh you know who it's not sarah Polly, noted canadian filmmaker definitely not well Br- bradley walsh did uh he did a bunch of music videos uh lens some 41 uh gob so he's Canadian, is what you're yeah. telling me. He's Canadian, yeah. and then he did some other MTV stuff. That seems like pretty much it. He's on some film faculty somewhere. I hope he shows his students. Uh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to the comments as as we are to do here, <laughs> and uh, there's not a lot of great ones, honestly. Except for this one, who is here in 2024, wishing things were like they were in 1998? No one. Now, now here, here's here's the big part. This was a comment from two years ago, in parentheses, edited, which means I assume this guy made this comment two years ago and said 2022, and probably edits every year to correspond with the current year. It's almost as sad as this video. Wow. wow. Does he set an alarm? Like, I can, <laughs> I can hear my laughter just now peaking in GarageBand. <laughs> <laughs> amazing everything about this is so embarrassing well also embarrassing mark was asked in the stereo gum interview that i mentioned if it's true that they broke the elevator in their hotel because they had too much alcohol with them mark's answer was yes it took them 20 minutes to load the elevator and when you have that much stuff you're supposed to use the service elevator which of course we never would have thought to do Mark said they loaded probably $5,000 worth of booze onto the elevator, and it stopped between floors, and the hotel staff had to rescue them. Oh, my God. What a moron. Oh, my God. Incredible. Also interesting, this video was a bonus feature on the DVD for Go. And unlike typical 90s fashion, there were no scenes from the movie Go in the music video. I feel like maybe the movie would have done a little better if it... (laughs) <laughs> had had some scenes in the Len music video. I don't know, man. I mean, they probably couldn't afford it after yeah. spending all that money on the booze. I mean, that didn't always work, though. Like, there'd be famous songs with, like, scenes from movies, and the song would go to number one, and the movie would flop. 
Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like the movie scenes being in there would um, date the video. Mm-hmm. So if this song didn't go to radio until after the movie came out, no. But there could be a version that exists. Like I've seen this happen where people cut a movie version of the video. Mm, that yeah, that makes sense. Scenes, but it's not the official like for the record for history. Mm. I'm sorry. These behind the scenes are just amazing. <laughs> like clearly it's spring break and a bunch of pissed people like just drunk pissed are on the beach and they're seeing a guy with a camera filming some guy in a, in a wife beater and the crowd's just <laughs> loving it. Like This is so Peak 1999 spring break in the behind the scenes. Florida. Oh my God. Well, where do we think this peaked on the billboard hot 100? Uh, number two. Ooh, strong, strong guess. I'm gonna go seven. Mm. It was a number nine. Okay, but okay. it did also hit the top ten on the pop airplay charts, where it hit number four, the alternative chart, and the adult top forty. So this really this was played on alternative rock radio in 1999. Yeah, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, it started on K Rock, so yeah, yeah, fair. But why don't we roll through the the Hot 100, the week it peaked, real quick. This is November 13th, 1999. And Courtney, you were dead on. (laughs) Uh, Number 10 is Britney Spears, You Drive Me Crazy. Number 9 is Len. Uh, 8, great song, Whitney Houston, My Love is Your Love. 7, Mark Anthony, I Need to Know. Oh, wow, I forgot that song. Too. I also like that song. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Brian McKnight, Back at One. Oh, wow, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Kind of sure. also a jam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's uh, so smooth. Yeah, he was he was uh, newly famous after his NBA career. TLC, Unpretty. I mean, this is like some of the best of 99 that it had to offer, to be honest. Well, I mean, this was in the era when records like the best records of the year came out between october and december for holiday season yeah yeah um so yeah the the uh the other those Only singles the are strongest out. stuff would have been worked now yeah four heartbreaker mariah carey featuring jay-z uh, five million dollar budget i'm telling you oh yeah best. which was that was a big moment for jay-z that was huge for his career to be in that song number three mambo number five Lou Bang. Hey. oh my god <laughs> Can I tell you that song just got banned at my gym because somebody started making memes about how it was on too often. <laughs> like the instructor in one of my classes skipped it and she was like, I can't. It's a whole thing. And I'm like, amazing. That is wow. fantastic. Number two is a song by two artists who uh, we've now found out did some terrible shit and don't like to talk about anymore. It's Satisfy You by Puff Daddy and R. Kelly. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, that's just a, <laughs> that's just a, a brew of shit. And then number one is the just I think one of our best episodes, smooth Santana featuring Rob Thomas. Oh, wow. I mean that was such a huge song. It was number. It says last week one peak position one weeks on chart sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> and that wasn't it even the end normal. of it. I mean, you can't you can't topple smooth. Um, <laughs> Steal My Sunshine was a top 40 hit in 80 countries and was certified platinum in the US, Australia and the UK. It was nominated for a Juno Award and they lost to the Tragically Hip. Well, that checks out. <laughs> yeah. Most Canadian thing that you've said so far this whole episode, which is saying a lot. Yeah. 
everything in Canada loses to the tragically hip. <laughs> there are some covers of this song. Uh, I don't think we really need to listen to any of them. Uh, it's been covered by Portugal the Man and Cherry Glazer together. Uh, the Goon Sacks, <laughs> which is absurd. Uh, Charlie Bliss and Bikini Trill together. Um, and then uh, pop punk emo band The Main covered it. Oh, really? Wow. The main thing I want to talk about, which was from the Cream article, was that, I'll just quote it, perhaps more than anywhere else, its influence can be detected in the feel-good slacker energy of present-day Lord, who referenced Len directly alongside A Tribe Called Quest and S Club 7 in a list of early 2000s sun-soaked bangers that inspired the title track from her 2021 album Solar Power. Wow. So that's the album that flopped, and I hope Lord really like takes that into consideration for her next yeah. searching for influences moment. I did really love the album before that, and then Solar Power didn't really grab me. So you and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, there is a mashup if you're curious of Solar Power and Steal My Sunshine. If you if you want to check that out, uh, I am. Like a <laughs> bad idea. Uh, well, maybe it makes both songs better. That's optimistic of you. I think that's sweet. Okay, question for both of you: Do you do you actually really like? Steal my sunshine, like it comes on and you don't turn it off immediately. <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan. I haven't spent as much time with it as Mike has in the last couple of days, I assume. But I would probably change it. Even I'm a, I, I love the '90s. For you would but... change Steal My Sunshine. Yeah, mm. I'm just not a fan. Mm. Fine, I, I get it. I, I honestly know. think the main thing that I like about it is the woodblock sonar thing, and they make it so loud yeah. in the mix that I think it's fun. That's like my yeah. main takeaway from this song. <laughs> Sure. There is a kids' bop version, so we have a Ooh, kids' corner segment is. here. This is also keep. Really yep, and that means that these kids are singing about losing their ecstasy buzz. Who hasn't? What child among us hasn't? Yeah, isn't that growing up losing your ecstasy buzz? Pretty much. Most of these kids' bop kids probably ended up in ecstasy later in life. Ah. At my very first uh, holiday party for MTV, they used to have these huge holiday parties that all of Viacom was invited to. So, like, MTV, VH1, Nickelodeon, all of it. Um, the first celebrity I saw at one was the guy that hosted Blue's Clues, and he was a shit Steve! Like, yes. out of his mind, yeah, the original host. Was he wearing the outfit? No. <laughs> no. And it was the most, like, bizarre intellectual disconnect that I've ever I love it. Felt. I love it. He was but living. Like, yeah, I think all the kids got really fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> the subsequent singles from the album didn't do a whole lot, even though one of them very oddly featured C.C. DeVille from Poison on lead guitar. Um, but it was time for Len to make a new album. In the LA Times interview from 99, Mark stated that after a five-week U.S. tour, they were going to the mountains of Nova Scotia to record a new album. Well, first we- off, oh, you have a hit song and you tour for five weeks? This, this is, is the question. era of touring no, for like 18 months. Uh, that was just after a five-week U.S. tour. They toured like oh God, okay, crazy, okay. and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get into that. Okay. They were supposed to go to the mountains of Nova Scotia and record an album. So I think they were going to record the album and then go back out on tour. 
Um, okay. It was going to feature an expanded lineup going by Len Crew. Oh. He said, we're just going to get drunk every night for two months and make a record and just make songs and songs and songs with all our boys trapped in a house. Ironically, that's what Broken Social Scene did. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It just turned out <laughs> differently. And we're going to make sure there's enough cheese and wine for everybody. But that's not what I happened. Mean, what happened? <laughs> that's not what happened. They went to Daytona Beach <laughs> and they blew Is it, it the all. Shining? Like, <laughs> well, work group folded, and EMI's main arm took on the band. They told the band they needed to focus on the next hit song because, of course, they did. And the band didn't like this. They responded by bringing a full marching band to record a song debunking stereotypes about Canada. I tried uh, all I this I did really try to sleuth. I couldn't well, we find this at all. It. There's no audio evidence of this. But the label, suffice to say, was not pleased. <laughs> so tensions were already high. And then the band who were on their 81st show of the tour, which was in Phoenix in the spring of 2000, they canceled it and drove the bus to Toronto. They had 120 dates left on the books. Oh, my God. And the label and whoever was their manager said, you can't do this. And Mark said, we just did. So EMI dropped them and the Lynn crew celebrated. (laughs) If you want to hear a quotation about this, he says, here's the deal. When you have that kind of a quick single blowing up, you sell a million records in what, six months? When it goes that fast off one single and you have no other singles... We just knew there was no other single. We were surprised there was even one single. So we were looking at this whole bigger picture of what's going to happen next. And we knew it's over in terms of generating more money for the rest of the album. So we just kind of backed out in terms of being public figures. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that is so, that is like a very long way of saying we didn't have any more good songs yeah. in us. And he already and said the album was terrible. Pop star was like an accident. Yeah. yeah I mean, to be fair, yeah. the whole first album wasn't any good except for the one song, apparently. Yeah. Well, apparently they didn't think that was good either. It was, yeah, he put it under his bed. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I agree uh, with him. It wasn't good. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> uh, I will say that, that I do appreciate that. He's not like conceited. He's like, this is all fun, dumb shit. Like, I can't believe people like this to begin with. Like, I, I do appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah. That he wasn't like, oh, hell yeah, we're geniuses. It was just like, <laughs> sure. why do you like this? That's strange. He actually said that the Len project was supposed to annoy people. <laughs> and, and it then did. He said, it succeeded completely. <laughs> but then he said that they were rock stars and it freaked him out. Like, people would come up to him and he thought they were, like, trying to fight with them or fuck with them. And he was like, oh, they love us. That's strange. Like. I'm this really freaked so out by this. Sense. I mean, not only does this make sense in the context of how a lot of people who became rock stars in the nineties felt, but also the Canadian guilt of it. Is like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. So yeah, he said that it pretty much stopped being fun and they just weren't what the music industry wanted them to be. So he retreated to a British Columbia ski resort for a year and Sharon moved to LA. And was never heard from again. Like what? <laughs> nope. <laughs> They they tried again, and he does in all this say that the royalties from Seal My Sunshine have throughout his life allowed him freedom to do the things he likes to do, and same with Sharon. I mean, it's been used as a sink in so many movies yeah, and TV shows. Recently, too, yeah. Yeah. So after his hiatus, Mark signed Len to DreamWorks, 
who gave them a $750,000 advance after Mark danced around the office telling them he had a whole bunch of hits ready to go, which he did not. (laughs) Uh, Len forced themselves to make another album called Diary of the Mad Men. And it sounds like it was just that. He says they kept to themselves and partied in the studio and things got crazier and deeper and darker and weirder. And this is what it resulted in. And this is the single. Okay, 2003 is the year? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is like prime indie rock era. This is like Death Cab releasing a transatlanticism. And Lynn is releasing... And, and yeah, like Linkin Park and... A song about incest? Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't looked at it either. I think he's been partying for the last four years. Uh, that's what he's been doing. He's been on a <laughs> ski resort with his friends. Just were they trying? I mean, were they trying to tap into the pop punk? Maybe because that was also yeah, definitely. Yeah, this was like what, like All American Rejects, Simple Plan. They were they weren't tapping into the Death Cab for Cutie. That's for sure. It's it's not good. It's awful. bad. All right, time to read the comments though. <laughs> If you haven't been thirsting for Sharon for 20 plus years, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> okay. oh Sharon is yeah, cool. But... I like only, Sharon. There's only two types of people in the world. Those who have a crush on Sharon and those who don't. <laughs> those who don't admit they don't have a crush on Sharon. You're in, a, you're in a relationship and it's like, who's your number one celebrity crush? You're like, remember that band, Len? Uh no, you don't. Well, oh there's a girl in that band, and she <laughs> is my crush. Ninety-nine <laughs> percent of the comments are about Sharon. Great. They are. That Except for this out one, for how this video looks, this song should be re-released in 2022. It's a great song. It's got to be the same 2022 guy who keeps editing it and changing yeah. the year. This should be released in every year. Oh my god! This went nowhere. The album went nowhere even though it oddly included a cover of Video Killed the Radio Star by Theo's favorite band, The Buggles. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, Mark says, they were asking me to make another Steal My Sunshine, which is essentially getting all fucked up, getting an old 70s reel-to-reel, and doing a raspy voice over a sample, talking about crazy shit over a disco beat. That's not going to work. So we walked away from it. Um, that probably walk- would have worked, actually. Honestly, <laughs> that probably exactly would have worked in yeah. 2023 as well. <laughs> they did resurface in 2012 to release the album It's Easy If You Try. And Mark says he never stopped making music. Um, he and his sister Sharon started hanging out again. Just did the same thing they always used to do, which was just make songs together. And when they get together, it's always called Len. And he said, wow, he did a Len record. That's funny. He told stereo gum that he does not foresee releasing any more lens stuff at any point he says we haven't talked in a while me and my sister but if if we ever do make an album it's going to be an acoustic thing because that's what i'm doing right now i bet if i started just making songs by myself like that again and digging deep it's just going to be some starbucks fucking kind of shit (laughs) and would be interesting for me to get that deep into myself again and could be really bad (laughs) This is like, I, mm, no, I don't, I feel really uncomfortable making fun of him at this point because. (laughs) (sighs) He knows it's bad. That's the thing. That's very funny. No, I think the level of emotional intelligence is the thing that's making me stumble that he has none. (laughs) He is so lacking in connection with himself or like vocabulary to talk about himself in any sort of way that makes sense. 
Well, Stereo Gum mentioned that uh, Mark had been working in lower profile jobs in the music industry. And he, when asked about it, he said, you don't need to know about that. But <laughs> I found it. Mark has been a music publishing executive and has owned several music publishing entities in the U.S. and Canada, specializing in emerging artists and songwriters. He served as senior creative at EMI Music Publishing, <laughs> the old label where he brought in a marching band and they dropped him, uh, and signed a number of multi-platinum acts, including Derek Wibley from Sum 41, oh, as well as Junior Sanchez. Junior wow. Sanchez. Well, yep. this will answer a question in my uh, MTV group chat of, that somebody was asking, do we know any artists who've gone on to become executives in the music industry? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's him and all the like the pop, the pop punk dudes. They're all like, wow. yeah. Publishing, too. That is like so not glamorous. Yeah. And his current venture, Inside Music Publishing, has offices in Toronto and Nashville. Has interest and ownership of catalog publishing rights totaling more than 35 million albums sold. But there's very little to be found about Sharon. I tried. She doesn't live a very public life. I couldn't find much about her, not even like her birthday. That's why I didn't mention it earlier. No recent interviews. According to a 2014 Guardian article, she lives in the UK. Look, if that many people were making comments about me on YouTube, I would also be hiding because you're all terrifying. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> yep yeah absolutely so yeah just a little bit about the legacy of the song we'll we'll wrap it here we'll start with mark he says that uh the second the song blew up he felt like it wasn't his anymore and it belonged to the people yeah. uh but he said this was in 2016 he said i went to karaoke last week and i oh, did boy. it it's funny because it's <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't he said it's funny because it doesn't seem like me, you know? Like, I'm singing it and going, holy shit. Like, he was questioning <laughs> in the moment, like, that, is that me? Uh, he said, I can still do the voice perfectly, and I'm still like, is this really me? Did I really sing this fucking song? <laughs> he said, I mean, I love the fact that it makes a fortune every year. And he said, no one's pushing it to make money. It just kind of happens. <laughs> he talks about how, like, it's never going to disappear. That's true. I think he's correct. It was never supposed to be like this. The fact that people react to it in any way possible is hilarious. Who could have thought that I could be this guy who wrote a song that 15 years later is on cool-ass shows like Mr. Robot? This was a song that wasn't supposed to be cool at all. It was almost a joke. Almost a joke. Okay. (laughs) Almost. I mean, here's the thing. Like, Obviously, you're going to feel disconnected from a song that you wrote while super high and then subsequently performed while super drunk constantly. That you put under your yeah. bed on a tape and let collect dust, and then suddenly this all yeah. happened. Also, um, you know, when you get 20 years removed from something, it is another version of yourself. Yeah, like, yeah that fair. too. This was really, though, a time and a place in the Toronto music Truly. and art scene kind of coalesced around this fucking basement. Because as a Stereo Gum commenter said it, Len, Broken Social Scene, Sum 41, and Trailer Park Boys basically originated from the same oh room. Oh my god! <laughs> just like a quartet of canadian white guy weirdness that extremely that is yeah. a great description this has been this was a very good story like i'm pretty impressed with how many tentacles this story <laughs> <is>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I, I, if you'll allow me, I'd love to end with a little bit from Emma Garland, who wrote that Cream Magazine article. By all means. She just really sums it up. Sibling duo Mark and Sharon Costanzo trade vocals like a crusty aqua. <laughs> Hence of Screamadelica era Primal Scream, which came up again. Alice DJ and Sugar Ray can all be detected. <laughs> but there are undertones to a distinct bro energy. Len paired purple-tinted sunglasses and breakdancing with billabong shorts, snug vests, and sideways Yankee caps like Vin Diesel by way of hackers, cross-pollinating influences in a fashion that helped them make sense to every demographic from freshmen to acid house DJs. As one of the final bangers of the 20th century, perhaps there's an innocence distilled within Steal My Sunshine that we find ourselves grasping for with increasing desperation. Remember the bouncy, sauntering down the street rhythm seems to suggest when it was possible to dream. Whether you're on a grueling come down or just regular depressed, Steal My Sunshine is a positive mental attitude anthem that does the hard work for you. It picks you up off the floor, gives you a bottle of water, and thumps you encouragingly on the back. Whatever the time of year, wherever you hear it, Steal My Sunshine ingests a little summer into the darkest winters of life. <laughs> so to summarize, no thoughts, just vibes. Peace yes. Side. Yes. Like yep. that is a beautiful piece of writing, but that's what it says. What that's it, it's it's saying uh it's saying what Yasi Selleck says a lot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is Len Steal My Sunshine. Thank you for being here, my I friends. Mean, Trump era <laughs> anthem. I, Trump I enjoyed it. Too. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh I, I mean, enjoyed uh, the story. I very much enjoyed the ride. Do I enjoy the song? Still no. no. <laughs> I'm with you there. But yeah. excellent story. Uh I'll still I'll still be uh be jamming to that woodblock when it comes on. I and get the little the riff, which those are from a different song. So, you know, <laughs> those aren't even from the song. They just cranked it up in the mix. Yeah, of course. I mean I hear I get it, I hear it. I get the appeal of the song. I get the whole appeal of no thoughts, just vibes. Like sometimes yeah. that's where you're at mentally. And it's so recognizable instantly. It's almost timeless because it's almost meaningless. <laughs> Let's not forget one of the biggest bands at this time was 311, which is the biggest No Thoughts Just Vibe God, band. So. Yes, that was, <laughs> there were certain things that were perpetually on in my freshman hall dorm, and 311 was one of them. <laughs> I bet. Well, Courtney, thanks for being here with us. This is super fun. Thanks for yeah. being along on this, this wild ride. Me. This was like a really great, episode great research great story i'm petrified mortified very upset <laughs> by some things that i heard My some of the cultural slightly changed forever we're here for. <laughs> some of the cultural reverberations of len <laughs> <laughs> yeah canada's messy canada's a messy, messy bitch i knew that already but this is like next level courtney i i'd love if you could uh tell the you wanted a hitters what's going on with you what should they check out what's what's coming up yeah you should subscribe to my podcast it's called songs my ex and you can find it any of the places you listen to podcasts um it is a lot of talking about how men suck so i'm you're, <laughs> you're welcome for me not doing that tonight to you um, I, I would have been on board so <laughs> yeah I can't help it. Men just do the worst things in relationships. It's your own fault. Uh, I'm also, you know, on the internet. I would say right now the best place to find me is on Instagram. And I am blue checkmarked. So if you can't find me, it's really your own fault. 
We'll uh, we'll tag we'll tag you on the Instagram as well, so everyone can find you when the episode drops. And if you want to hear more stories about MTV life, I have a little series on TikTok that you can go watch with all the indie rock stories from the early two thousands. Now I'm gonna have to Excellent. tell to promote this episode. I'm gonna have to do a little story about broken social scene. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Brandon Canning got very mad at me and yelled at me once. So. Oh no. <laughs> He was so much calmer in the intro to Steal My He's Sunshine. He's a very calm person. I just angered him that day. I don't think it was me, <laughs> but I think it might have just been a day. Well, I, I look I look forward to seeing seeing the uh the retelling of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. This was fun. Yeah. And, this, uh, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm glad you could like glad you could be with and us. If anybody yeah. can track down Lenny and, uh, you let us know. It's going to be me. Let's yeah. figure it out. Yeah. It's going to be out me, this mystery. and I will be... Oh, she's going to track down Lenny. I will Lenny. be pitching Stereo Gum this hot expose. <laughs> Lenny's going to be our next guest. Oh. And we're going to talk about a totally different song. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more. And it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode. And we also want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at ywahpod or directly via email at ywhpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler, and our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.